Murphy backed it up to Matthew Snyder. Snyder on a point. Power play still has over a minute left. Stumble. Fake the blast. Off the side. Score! You're listening to All the King's Men, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Kings. Back to the point. Snyder. He should score. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. My name is Jesse Cohen. This is All the King's Men. I've been seeing a lot of posts on social media this week about hockey being roughly 50 days away. Everybody's got their own way of counting it down. Um, But I feel like it's missing the fact that there's training camp, uh, there's rookie camp, there's a rookie tournament, uh, six teams out in Vegas in uh, the middle of September. As far as I'm concerned, you guys, we're like 21 days away from hockey. We're three weeks away from NHL or very close to NHL players playing in games. Uh, they might not count towards a playoff spot, but it's hockey. I'm excited. I don't know about you guys. I, I, I don't acknowledge this 50-day stuff. Uh, look, Mike Camito is here this week uh, with another installment of This Week in Kings History. Then James Whitlock and I react to some recent Kings news this episode. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast. Subscription links and recent episodes can be found at lakings.com slash podcast. Joining me now for another installment of This Week in King's History, it's Mike Comito. How are you doing today, Mike? Doing great, Jesse. Actually, uh, I just came off the golf course in February where I was actually hanging out with a, a couple uh, King's uh, alumni. Uh, it was the February Wolves at a, a little alumni tournament today. So Craig Duncanson was there. He was drafted ninth overall by the Kings. Uh, back in 85, only played, I think, a... 20 or so games with the Kings and then Andrew Dale, who's actually our, our VP of comms and marketing. He was drafted by the Kings in 94, uh, never made it to the NHL, but was a, was a good player as well. Well, I, I got to admit you, uh, you stumped me. I'm a longtime Kings fan and I was paying attention to the team in the mid nineties, but I do not recognize those names. Um, that's great though. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think uh, Andrew played uh, for the Nighthawks, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but yeah, Craig uh, Duncanson, who had, he had a pretty good uh, career with the Wolves, a couple back-to-back 30-goal seasons before getting drafted. Obviously, you know, pretty high at ninth overall. Um, I think he he must have been traded out of the Kings pretty early on. Um, I don't think I think he had a lot of uh, battled some injuries, uh, which I think limited his career. Well, according to this, he played uh, ten games in 1989-1990. But we're not here to talk about Craig Duncanson. Uh, yeah, it is, no. It, it is the middle of August, so uh, interesting dates in hockey history are hard to come by. But uh, what do you have for us this week in Kings history, Mike? Yeah, so it was obviously hard to follow up the the, the Gretzky trade uh, from from the last time we spoke, but uh, but the one that we wanted to key on to key into this week was uh, on August 13th, year 2000. Uh, the King signed Matthew Schneider. Uh, so obviously he was, uh, you know, an all-star defenseman in 1996, was part of those uh, those big, uh, you know, the World Cup winning team in 1996, you know, playing behind uh, Luis Cincellius. But the Kings brought him in, uh, you know, after his, uh, his seasons with New York. He was uh, also a member of the 93 Canadians team that beat the Kings in the Stanley Cup final. Um, yeah, I wasn't sure how you wanted to how you wanted to handle that, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it has to be said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, look, he was great, and he was great as a king. I was fascinated, though, looking into the story about uh, him signing with the Kings, and I didn't realize this. Maybe you can fill in some of the details. He was drafted uh, in the expansion draft by the Columbus Blue Jackets. 
Yes. Yeah. So that, that had happened. And then later in the summer, again, why he would have signed so late is when, is when they would have pried him. I guess the Blue Jackets never had signed him, uh, you know, after drafting him in the expansion draft. And then ultimately, you know, he went through that, uh, pursuing his options in the off season and ended up, uh, you know, signing with the Kings, which for him was at the top of his list of where he wanted to sign to, or he wanted to sign with, sorry. Uh, and obviously uh, GM Dave Taylor at the time was really uh, eager to have him on the, on the team again. At the time of the signing, you know, he was uh, he was emphatic about the fact that he liked that Schneider played with an edge. You know, he talked about his vision on the ice and that he can move the puck. So for him uh, and the Kings, he thought it was an immediate upgrade to their blue line. He was. I mean, he was one of those players – I loved watching him play. He was, he was, I mean, the nearest comparison I can think of for active members of the, uh, of the Kings. Now I'd say he's sort of like a, a Jake Muzzin of his time where every, mm-hmm. you know, every time he had the puck, it seemed like it was going on net. He didn't rack up an insane amount of, uh, points, but during his, uh, during his hundred and shoot, not looking for during 193 games, he scored 124 points. It's not bad for a defenseman. That's pretty good. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's kind of always been, I think, you know, the, the hallmark of Schneider as, as a player is he's kind of, I you know, not underrated, but I think, you know, Brett Hall said it best uh, when you're, sorry, Brian Leach called him underappreciated in his time because, again, he did, he could put the puck in the net. You know, he was great at moving the puck. He had great shots. He also had this edge that he could play with. He was pretty tough as well. You know, but again, he didn't really do anything very, uh, very flashy, right? So he still could do all those things, but just obviously never, you know, at the level where you'd associate him with, with one of those, uh, I think, higher caliber players who kind of you know, dominate the, the headlines of the storylines the next day because of who they are. But he did all those things great. Uh, and ultimately, I think that, uh, you know, looking back on, on his career, he's still one of those really rock solid type guys. And I think ultimately, you know, he fit in really well with the Kings that first year. Scored 51 points, which obviously I think at the time for him was uh, was his best offensive output uh, since since 1993-94. Yeah, he was one of those guys that, I, and I don't understand hockey sometimes. He played for 10 different teams, and I can't yeah. I can't fathom. I mean, he was always good wherever he went, and I can't understand why any team would want to get rid of him, and yet. Right, it's one of those catch twenty twos where it's like, well, he was good enough that he always there was always a team willing to pick him up, but he was never, mm-hmm. but he was never seen as good enough for a team to hold on to him. So, for example, when the Kings trade him in two thousand and two two thousand three, I guess arguably it was because he was going to be an unrestricted free agent, and they felt like they had other players that could do the job, so they get rid of him. But he scores forty three points that year, and then the following season in Detroit, he puts up forty six. The year after that, fifty nine. So it's not like he was done. It's not like he wasn't. No. <laughs> he wouldn't have been a solid investment. There's a ton of players like him where they just keep moving from team to team, and I never quite understand it. He was, you know, he was on that team that beat Detroit in the in the you know six game series in the frenzy on Figueroa. You know, they take Colorado mm-hmm. to Game Seven. I mean, he was a he was a huge part of, of the best Kings team in, you know, 15 years at that point. Uh, I'm not yeah. entirely sure why they got rid of him. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, I, I agree. Again, I think it's, it's interesting when you look back at those players again, because he doesn't really, he doesn't strike me as one of those journeyman type players who, you know, moved around and like that, that often because there was never, you know, a role for him is easily replaceable, right? Again, you have Hall of Famers like Brian Leach and Brett Hall who look back on his career when he was inducted into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame in 2015. And, like, 
they had nothing but praise for this guy that again, yeah. going back to that comment I said earlier that he was underrated or he was underappreciated, you know, for Hall, he, he, he said that he was a guy that he would want in his top four uh, all, all day long. Um, so again, he, he could play in those, those elite positions or in those elite situations as a, as a top four defenseman. But ultimately uh, again, I don't know if it's just because there was just kind of this, um, anything he did, he did, he excelled at all those things that we talked about, but just not, you know, at that, that flashy level where, you know, he did one of those things at, uh, you know, I guess above and beyond anybody else. Right. So maybe that's just kind of kept him in that, uh, that middle tier category, but ultimately he was, uh, you know, one of those top four defensemen for sure. And uh, look, this is neither here nor there, but highest scoring Jewish player in NHL history. <laughs> uh, yes, and yeah. I, I happen to be Jewish, so of course that stands out to me. Um, yeah, I, no, he's. Uh, I, I I love his story just because again, I was kind of I was going over some old uh, some old footage. It was uh, when he was back with the Canucks, uh, you know, during one of his last stops in 2009, 2010. He stopped by uh, after hours with uh, with Craig Simpson. He talked about you know, his, his pathway to the NHL. And he'd said that, you know, he first learned to skate uh, at Rockefeller center, you know, cause he, he was born in Brooklyn. He grew up in, in New York city area. Uh, his dad was Jewish and his mother was French Canadian. And ultimately, you know, as he kind of got, uh, got into hockey, his dad had advocated for him to go to Catholic school. He ended up going to uh Woonsocket, Rhode Island, where he led the, the school to a couple uh, state and, and national titles, but his, his dad felt that he had a better chance of getting some scholarships or, or making a name for himself. If he went to a Catholic school and kind of got out of where he was, uh, where he was going to school in New York. And so ultimately from there, yeah, the, the rest is history. He, he joins the league, uh, uh, 10 team, 20, 20 year career. And up, up until Mike Camilleri, uh, broke his goal scoring record. So he was the highest, uh, he's still the highest scoring, uh, you know, Jewish player in NHL history, but he had uh, all those offensive categories until Camilleri broke it in uh, 2013-14 with the Flames. I feel like he should get more credit for being a defenseman, though. I mean... <laughs> yeah, oh, know. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's, he's really... I mean, he, and he really was just a ton of fun to watch. I mean, it's just... There's just... There's very few players that I think had the kind of impact on a franchise that he did in as short a period of time, right? It was less than three seasons, three full seasons. He came in, he mm -hmm. was spectacular, gave them exactly what they needed. And then, you know, he's gone for a, a draft pick that turns into Jeff Tambellini. So. Yeah, no. And it, it, when you look back at that, right again, that's the, that's the historic 2003 draft, right? So again, you know, Corey Perry was taken right after Tambellini. Yep. Uh, and then obviously in that second round, you still, it was still just packed with studs as well. Again, that was the round that Patrice Bergeron was taken. Uh, so yeah. So again, they, they obviously missed it on, on, on that pick, but also that 2004 second round pick that they got back from that yeah. trade as well was, was later used to acquire uh, Joseph Stumple from the Bruins as well. So again, uh, yeah, probably not the return that they, they would have liked in the end, but obviously it, uh, I think it worked out well regardless. Well, yeah, with the with the benefit well, not, not, <laughs> with yeah. the benefit of hindsight and uh, two Stanley Cup banners, everything worked out, uh, of course, <laughs> for the best. But um, but yeah, so that's Matthew Schneider signs with the Kings. Uh, I I looked and looked and looked, and I couldn't find anything other than a brief mention of the fact that Columbus took him in the expansion draft, and he uh, he just wouldn't sign with them, so he winds up in L.A. and uh, one of my favorite Kings, Matthew Schneider. Anything else you want to do yeah. uh, to tag on to that, Mike? No, I think we kind of covered 
we covered everything. Um, yeah, that, that's basically all I wanted to talk about. But again, I think there's another story there, you know, to, to talk with him about what was the, what's the full details behind, uh, you know, not signing with Columbus after the expansion draft. I mean, I think he still is, uh, he was obviously involved with the collective agreement, uh, you know, back in, during the last lockout, I think he's still a special assistant with, uh, with Don fear, if I'm not mistaken. I don't wouldn't quote me on that yet, but, uh, but yeah, maybe that's a, be worth talking to him one day. Yeah. We're going to try and track down that story, but for now, Mike, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks very much. Awesome. Thank you. Joining me now, James Whitlock. How you doing, James? Love and life. <laughs> with no hockey? Is that even possible? <laughs> Any day I wake up uh, on the right side of the bed, it's it's a good day. Wow, you're a much sunnier person than I am. I am uh, <laughs> I am miserable with no hockey. I don't know why today was the day that the wave crashed, but like I was watching highlight clips of King's playoff runs from the early 2000s. And I was, you know, looking at old rosters and just, I don't know why today, but I really miss hockey today. Oh, uh, it gets dry. It gets dry about this time. Every year. Yeah, but I, like I said, I don't know what it was about today, but that, man, it's just brutal. So uh, so we, we spoke to Mike Comito for this week in King's history. He talked about Matthew Schneider. I guess that's probably what kicked it off. But uh, before we move on real quick, any thoughts, any memories uh, of yours about Matt, Matthew Schneider and his time here as a king? Snyder came in right as I was coming back from the military. And I was, I don't know if you remember, but I was back East. Um, if we've talked about it before for the end of the nineties. So I didn't get a lot of Kings hockey back there. So coming back, um, Snyder was in there uh, for a couple of years. And uh, it just, it was one of those times where you just, I was, it was a time where I could see an older player play when I was uh when I was here before I was watching some of the younger players and getting excited about that but then I got to see more of what a veteran presence does for a team mm-hmm. so it was kind of, that was kind of cool um but I I too was going back and looking at at clips for uh Snyder and 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 I found something kind of fascinating and uh you as a as a as a fellow fan uh would would appreciate this but when they were when they were presenting the uh the doctrine of, of was doctrine of principles. Yeah, this last this, year. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they and they went. They got an invitation to go to the Vatican. Yeah, and uh, none other than our Luke Robitaille went as well. That's right to uh, to present this, and I thought that was just kind of a cool King's connection uh, on something that was so global. Was Schneider uh, there and, as well? Yeah, he was there. Uh, huh. Not I, sure if uh Thing was there, but yeah, they was they were together and uh they presented this and this is where they got uh the Pope actually blessed this um moving forward. So it was kind of a kind of a cool moment and it also included Luke. That's that's funny because one of the things we talked about with Mike was the fact that uh Matthew Schneider is is the highest scoring Jewish player in uh in NHL history. So <laughs> I did say that too. <laughs> so uh, I I mean I you know, I don't know. I Who guess, would have figured that come up, right? I, I mean, I guess I guess he is religious, so I mean, you know, it's not the it's not the craziest thing ever. But uh, <laughs> but uh, as far as weird places that that uh, Kings players or, or people associated with the franchise are popping up, uh, Alex Trebek name dropped Alex Faust on Twitter. I guess it was about a week and a half ago now, or maybe two weeks ago at this point. But we haven't really had a chance to talk about it on the podcast. Um, Alex Faust. <laughs> Named as a as a potential candidate to replace Alex Trebek by Alex Trebek, 
what do we what do we think about that? <laughs> that what a tremendous honor, right? Yeah, I it's mean, one of, yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> I and I don't know which you value more as as a media personnel. Uh, I mean, that's obviously a great honor from Alex, but to uh, to be able to take the uh, the mic after uh, Bob Miller, I mean, I th- I think that kind of trumps it all. Yeah, it would be. I mean, I don't know. I don't pay a ton of attention to like. TV ratings and certainly not TV ratings on shows like Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, but does Jeopardy mean as much today as it did 10 years ago, 20 years ago? I feel like it still does, right? People still like Jeopardy? I think it does. Uh, A lot of it it is Trebek itself. Uh, And unfortunately, as great as uh, Alex is, I think he'd kind of get lost in that show and, and, and people wouldn't, wouldn't get to see his personality where, where when we when we watch broadcasts, we really get to see his personality, his love for the game, and and all the work that he puts into that. I I, th- I think the uh, the job of hosting Jeopardy kind of gets lost in 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 what it is itself. Yeah, and plus I don't I don't know what Alex Faust would look like with a big mustache. Yeah, that would be know. weird. <laughs> I kind of I kind of want him to do it now, though. I hope I hope for <laughs> November this year he does. Alex, if you're listening to this, I expect. The biggest mustache you can muster, uh, or Halloween, yeah, or yeah, yeah. I mean, man, now, now it's just, today was the day the wave crashed, and I miss hockey. And now for the rest of the month, I'm just going to be thinking about Alex Faust with a giant mustache. That's <laughs> that's all I got, Alex. If it pops up on Instagram, we know who to who to call. Yeah, but it sort of raises an interesting question, which is like, we have these these pop culture or sports entertainment or or whatever these these properties and and they have these names or, or, uh, or I'm blanking on a word here, but uh, institutions, right. That we get used to that we think of. And so, for example, when I was growing up, the Kings had a mascot Kingston, but never really stuck. Then it went away for a long time. And then Bailey came around. And for me, Bailey's still just a novelty, but for a whole generation of Kings fans, Bailey's just part of the Kings, right. The way that Pat Sajak is part of wheel of fortune. And, the way that Alex Trebek is part of Jeopardy. And, you know, we've had this conversation on the podcast before uh, the half and I run this one back a million times where whenever like the voice of a cartoon character dies and they have to bring in a new guy to do the voice, it always Mm -hmm. takes you a minute to like, to readjust, you know, when, when Bugs Bunny isn't Mel Blanc all of a sudden, or, uh, or when they get a new actor to be Ronald McDonald or something like that. (laughs) Um, so it would be super weird for Jeopardy to have a new host. It would be even weirder, I think, as Kings fans, for that host to be the guy that we listen to all the time. Um, but a new role is turning over in Kingsville. And I'm curious what you think about it, because it's a role that didn't exist when you were a kid either. And that's in arena host. The I'm Kings having a hard time with this one. Yeah, well, so the Kings are going to go a different route this year. I don't know that they've named... Uh, a new in arena host yet, or if they even know, you know, maybe it's going to be done by committee. Maybe it's going to be, uh, you know, done by a member of the ice crew. I'm not sure, but I started thinking about it and honest to God, like this is a role that I don't think existed before 2007, 2008, something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do I mean, do you think when you think of the, of the experience of like going to a Kings game, when you think of, the Kings, do you think of, you know, Carlin or Jay or, or DJ Vic one or, 
the ice crew or any, or Bailey or any of the, you know, I mean, there's, there's so much now that exists around the franchise. Does that all feel like the Kings to you? Cause I mean, it, it does now to me. And, and 10 years ago, if you'd asked me if I felt, if I ever would feel that way, I would have told you no. Now, now diving in more so now with the, with the podcast and such is uh, as we do, I see a lot more fans that are still not on board with the whole in arena host. The ice crew, you know, they're there for hockey. And right. there's a, a lot of times they're like, when there's a break, I don't want to hear people yelling on the mic. Um, so I see that faction of fan. And then I also see the people that really get into the things that happen in between the game. And I understand the business behind it. So I, I think it makes sense. I also volunteer with with the um, with the uh, ice crew and such uh, for postseason whenever they have me So uh, to wave flags. So, um, I get to see that side of it as well. Uh, and I see how into it the fans get when it's good. Well then, well, so, okay. So you're the perfect person to ask this question. Then when you're being a flag bearer, do you get recognized over multiple appearances by specific fans? And then when they haven't seen you in a while, do they like, do they, you know, ask, you know, do they acknowledge you? Yeah, I uh, actually, I, I wasn't able to do a game once. And then, got yelled at for the next game I was at from almost the whole game for not being there. And then when I'm at games, people will pull me aside and high five and, and we'll take pictures and stuff. So it's uh yeah, people, I mean, people get into it. They get to know you, they get to know the personalities. And then I see a lot of the fans with the ice crew and they're taking pictures in the concourse and they're, uh, they're, you know, want to get signatures and, and they become sort of a, sort of an in-game celebrity themselves. So, I think I think it brings a whole different level of fan to the game. It's good for the kids. The kids love it, um, and you know they they get the kids involved with like the number callouts and those kind of things. So, all in all, I think it adds the experience. But now that we're on this precipice, I think there's a there's a huge decision to make, and and yeah, the success of the program really decides on who's the next Jay Flats. Well, that was kind of what I was, that was sort of what made me think about it was, you know, look, I famously for years did not like mascots and, and, you know, my attitude, I was one of those fans that you were talking about, right? When the, when the game's not playing, I don't need music blaring. I don't need somebody banging a drum. I don't need this scoreboard telling me when to cheer. That was who, who I was. And a lot of that was because, you know, I was raised by my father who, you know, is from Canada and, and is of a certain generation and, you know, all of this, you know, it's that whole like dynamic between the old fans and the new fans, right? The people always say old hockey fans, not old in age, but old in right. amount. Of, you know, they say it's like a, it's a hostile fan base. It's not welcoming yeah. to new fans. So I was part of that. I admit it. And and somebody finally pointed out to me that, you know, when parents want to take their kids, seven, eight, nine year old kids to a game the kids might not be able to really appreciate or understand or even care what's happening on the ice, but they love Bailey. And then by the time they're old enough to appreciate it, they're already sort of emotionally invested because of Bailey. And I was like, all right, fair enough. My dad used to take me to the game and I would just want to play video games in the concourse at the forum. I, you know, I didn't, (laughs) I didn't care. I, you know, I probably saw a bunch of of great players that I just don't even remember seeing because I was too young to care. And had the Kings not gotten Gretzky and not gone on that run in 93, maybe I never get into the sport, right? Maybe I, Mm -hmm. maybe that boredom never translates into full-blown passionate fandom. Uh, Fortunately for, for me, (laughs) 
I guess. Uh, Not all of us, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it did happen, and so I did get converted. But you know, the, having a you know ice crew and Bailey and the whole thing, you know, it's just a an, an easier way to transition. So you're exactly right. The the decision they make next. So I started thinking about this. Sorry, it's a really long preamble to a really stupid thought. Is that this is a job, like I said, didn't exist 10 years ago, but now that it does exist, now that it's sort of established, and you've got guys throughout the league, um, I'm blanking on the gentleman's name in Columbus who does a fantastic job, um, and he sort of, you know, created uh, a, a role for himself with the franchise. Yeah, if you could find the right person who was in their early to mid-20s, hypothetically, to do this job, you could be creating somebody who could be not like a face of the franchise. I mean, it's too far to suggest a face of the franchise, but you could you could be finding you could be filling a role that could be filled for twenty years. Absolutely, and that's crazy, right? Because now we're talking about somebody like you know a Jim Fox or or before you know Dave Joseph doing the PA announcer or before him David Courtney, right? Like mm-hmm. a totally at some level a, a part of the puzzle that you would you do, you know doesn't isn't integral to the product on the ice. And yet at the same time, fans just feel like they're part of the experience. Like that person is part of the game and that blows my mind. So I'm, I'm sort of crazy fascinated by, by uh, what they're going to do. And they might not make the decision right away. Like I said, they certainly haven't said anything about it publicly and nobody's told me anything. Um, I'm, I don't know the way the industry keeps changing fascinates me. And, uh, I don't know. You you're probably <laughs> probably more likely to hear about this than I am if you're connected to the uh, to the ice crew. So it, and and here's my final thought on this, and and to kind of wrap it all up, and and where I think it brings in the hockey purist onto the to the dark side of the what they would assume this dark side, if you will, mm-hmm. um, is when you listen to interviews of other players and they start listing some of the toughest places to play in the country or in the North, in North America. Um, and the Staples center can get listed on there just because the fan base is wild and, and, and the noise and, and uh, the fan base. I, and I really credit that to the in arena host. I credit that to ice crew. I credit that to Bailey. Like that's, that's what keeps people in it when there's not a lot happening on the ice. And so if that is the outcome of a good in-arena host, of a good mascot, a great ice crew, then that should bring uh, the hockey purists, uh, Kings fans, on on board with this because you want players having to dread coming to the Staples Center. I have a uh, a 21-year-old sister who is not a hockey fan. And uh, we were speaking on the phone recently, and she was berating me for what a poor job the NHL does promoting itself to her generation, basically. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, was using the Florida Panthers in game entertainment, uh, staff as an example. And I kept saying, look, I don't have any, I don't have anything to do with the Florida Panthers. I don't know what you want me to, (laughs) what do you want me to do about it? But all she could talk about was, you know, I'm terribly sorry if anybody in the Florida Panthers organization is listening to this, but she just kept <laughs> saying, like, she just kept saying, like their cheerleaders were awful. Their, you know, their their host was awful. It's all, it's just, it's you know, it's B level subpar stuff. And I was like, 
man, I like I said, when I was her age, it just never would have even occurred to me to pay attention to that sort of thing. But um, I thought, well, you know, something cool about Bailey. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know this, but this year, like, and I think it happened last year too. The NFL had their their mascot, whatever. I don't necessarily know what the event was, but all their mascots got together. Yeah. And Bailey was invited to that. I saw that, yeah. <laughs> he went with Rampage from the LA Rams. And and uh, to be invited to something out of your sport where you, you transcend your sport entirely, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, the Kings have been really good over the last 10 to 15 years about hiring people, really clever people, you know, and, and you can see it in the 2012 Cup run. Everything from the light shows to the music choices to the videos they showed on the Jumbotron before to Bailey to having Pia Toscano sing every game. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm 100% convinced that that played a role in the cup win. Not a huge role, not as big a role as any of the players on the ice, but it absolutely played a role. And so, like I said, I, they have an opportunity here to to do something with the in-arena host uh, that could last a really long time. It could be really interesting. So. Uh, and good be luck because Jay Flats did an amazing job. He did. Like he absolutely that. did. Uh, and that a, is and a, a super, super professional. Nice guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And always, I mean, we can't say enough nice things about Jay Flats. But we are going to move to talking about stuff on the ice now. And uh, look, sports are dumb, um, and <laughs> and and fighting about sports is dumb. And yet, there's really no we point to do it. Yeah, there's no point to having. To having a team if you're not going to fight about it. So the <laughs> NHL has decided to rank all the players in the league. They do it every year. And uh, we were just going to talk about Kopitar being ranked number six on the centers list. But then today the NHL announces that Drew Doughty is ranked number two um, overall amongst defensemen. Which one do you want to? Which one do you want to quibble with first? Well, let's start with Kopi. All right, let's do it. So Kopi number six and and. In front of him, I, I think you could you could argue some, argue others. I I think some people get on there just because their name. Sure. Uh, I I don't know that everybody put Crosby as two, and 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 that to me is is kind of a like, well, his name's Crosby, so obviously you got to put him in the top two. Uh -huh. um, when he was outperformed by Malkin, but Malkin goes three, and then Austin Matthews four. Who played? Uh, he played a partial season, right? It was sixty-three points. So, yeah, sixty-two games. So, yeah, that's uh, three quarters. A little point a game. Uh, then Nathan McKinnon at number five, and then Kopi. So I and and this has been brought up plenty of times during the season. I don't know if these these ratings are all time or no. No, it's just this year. Just the season, because if you read Crosby's write-up and uh, they they take into account his whole career, which I think is crap. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, if we're just going to look at the season, then I don't think Crosby gets a two placement. I don't think uh, McKinnon gets a placement over Kopitar just due to two minutes and, and his total overall performance, um, where Kopi, I mean – the reason he walks away with Selkie is because of what he's done on every aspect of the game. And some people uh, don't play as much. See, I'm going to go ahead. I actually, I don't think, I mean, this is just, this is, this is why I say sports are dumb. Um, I don't use, I'm not going to use stats or, or 
or singular season performance necessarily to rank them. I think Sidney Crosby is the single best hockey player in the world right now. And I don't care how many points he got. I don't care if his team won the Stanley Cup or not. When he's on the ice, he is literally scoring goals that I have never seen players score in my life. And I've been watching this stupid game for 25 <laughs> years. And You, you know, don't he, watch people pass themselves all the time? Well, he's standing. I mean, literally, <laughs> he did it two or three times this year where he had his back to the net. And he, and he – it wasn't that he tipped the puck. It was that he corralled the puck in midair. Right. Into, I mean, I can't even describe it. It, it. I wouldn't even know which muscles to activate to try and mimic what he did. And, you know, he routinely turns journeyman wingers into all-stars. And he's just – he's batting pucks out of midair, like I said, with his back to the net. They're, shots and passes are coming in at full speed, and he's absolutely deflecting them with full intention. He's he's just the best player in the league. And Connor McDavid is right there behind. Like I don't think you can realistically have a list that doesn't have McDavid and Crosby one or two. And if you want to put McDavid first because I listened to some conversation on another hockey podcast where they were talking about zone entries and you know Connor McDavid has like 800 zone ent- controlled zone entries and the next highest person has 400 or something like that. And you go, That's a huge stat. Yeah, and you go, okay, my God, this guy really is just amazing. And he is. You watch him play, he's amazing. I still think... He, he is next level. Yeah, but I still think Crosby is also... Like, I just think whether it's veteran while or or craftiness or experience or whatever, I just think Crosby's better. Um, after that... For now. For now. Yeah, you know, for sure. For now. For now. <laughs> no, no, look. If, Mc, if McDavid continues... To, you know, he's sh- so whatever. I'm not going to get cranky if somebody listed number one. <laughs> Crosby's right. number two. And then after that, like Matthews and McKinnon. I feel like McKinnon's only on that list because he had an incredible second half of the season. And yeah. I don't know. I'm just not that. Imp- on a 14. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I guess I'm just not that crazy impressed by it where it's like. You know, I I don't have the list I made at the end of the season pulling up, you know, why, who I thought should win the MVP. But, but look, Kopitar, you know, we've talked about it. He kills penalties. He plays more minutes. He, you know, defensive player, et cetera. I I just don't think Matthews and I, I just don't think rewarding sheer offensive dazzling players with the, the, you know, top, Numbers. It just doesn't make any sense, right? Like, I get why they do it. It's just boring to me. And so the fact that Kopitar is number six, when he's not necessarily a dazzling offensive player, says to me that he, like, that shows how good he actually is. You know what I mean? Like, the NHL, the people who make these lists probably hate the fact that (laughs) they have to include Kopitar in between the names of guys like Tyler Sagan, John Tavares, Nathan McKinnon, Austin Matthews, Sidney Crosby, you know, the fact that they had to put Steven Stamkos at 11th and Jack Eichel at 15th, right? Like they would love to just have, you know, a league full of flashy guys whose hair is, you know, flowing out of their helmets as they blow by defenders. And it's like, (laughs) that's not Kopitar's game, right? He's busy winning. Um, So... (laughs) 
So, Shame on him. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, like the fact that he's six to me is a secret, you know, touch of the nose and wink that he's actually probably, I don't know, fourth. Um, I would I would say fourth as well. Absolutely. Malkin is. <sighs> yeah. It's not. It's really not fair that Pittsburgh gets Crosby and Malkin. <laughs> if you really yeah. Think, <laughs> really think about it. Well, um, and, and 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 by that by that attribute as well, like I, you, if you really look at how they how they wrote these things up, you can take any stat and support any way you want to uh, present a player, and and they're just taking stats and manipulating them so that they could say, okay, well, in this very small niche, this player was the best in the league, so that's why they deserve this spot. Where if you just look at all around play and 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 to your point, just looking at all around play and just putting it all together as a, a full all around player, because you're because you're rating the top forwards, you're not rating the top play, the top da na na Right. Uh, so that that kind of like the flashiness doesn't get me as much because that's not what we're looking at. We're looking at the best forward on the ice, and I I really think that it, it gets skewed by names and and. Who the who the fans or who maybe who's selling more jerseys or whatever the case is, but yeah, it, I I think it is a lot biased in this list. But then if you get to Dowdy, I don't have much to say about that one. Number two. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, can I, I like it better now that he's number two? Well, when they when I heard that he was number two, my, you, you know, you ever. Like, do you have a food that you hate? Oh, I've got plenty. Okay, so when when, when you're not expecting it, and all of a sudden it shows up on a plate in front of you, you know that that flex that you do internally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that yeah. was that was what I did when I saw number, Dowdy rank number two because I thought, oh, for God's sake, they've gone and named Eric Carlson uh, number one again, and mm-hmm. I just. I don't know why, but this particular dumb sports fight is like the bane of my existence. I I I am tired of seeing Carlson ranked above Drew Doughty. Um, so imagine my surprise when I saw her Carlson ranked number three. Uh, <laughs> and, I thought, and I thought, oh, okay. Well, well then, who's number one? And it was Victor Hedman. And I thought, like, all right, fine. You know, it's a yearly. You know, it's a yearly ranking. They do it every year. Last year, Doughty was third. The year before that, he was first. So, okay, you know, Hedman's, I suppose, a bit younger, a bit bigger, and a bit meaner. And all of my arguments for why Dowdy should be ranked higher than Carlson are easily translatable to why you might think Hedman should be ranked higher than Dowdy, right? Because the argument against Carlson is, well, he doesn't actually play defense. He doesn't actually kill penalties. He's just phenomenally offensively gifted and so you know the best defense is a good offense and all of that and so you think all right well you know i guess but then you look at headman and you go no this is this is a man who who plays defense you know this is a guy who hits this is you know i've seen him block shots i've seen him do all these things that you sort of think of as you know what a defenseman you know is i guess um and he had look he had 63 points i think dowdy had what 61 or something like that this year so I'm not mad about it. Obviously, as a Kings fan, I would prefer to see Dowdy. Um, and I agree with what Can Danico said on the NHL um, 
TV show, I guess, for lack of a better word, where he said, like, look. Tonight. Yeah, he said, look, I think Dowdy's number one, you know, but you rank him second on this list, whatever, whatever. Yeah, Dowdy had 60 points. So, okay. You know, you've, if you're going to make a list, somebody has to be number one and somebody has to be number two. It's like the Crosby McDavid thing, right? Like, I'm not going right, right. to pitch a hissy fit just because Dowdy's considered the second best defenseman on the planet. Yeah, right. On the planet. <laughs> um, you know. Is he still in a Kings jersey? Yeah, and look, he's got two more cup rings than Hedman does, and uh, so whatever, 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 right? Like, not no, no, nanny, nanny, boo boo, right? Nah, not not on this one. The Kopitar <laughs> one, I'm a little bit, but but the, the Kopitar one, I'm just so used to it, you know. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I never knew how bad the West Coast bias thing was, but um, it's a thing. Yeah, no, it I is. I think it's fair to say it's a thing. And, and I and I get it when you're when you're on the East Coast and you're having to stay up till two in the morning to watch games, or or you have it recorded and you and you got to go back to to that and you just end up watching highlights because now you're on to the next day's games. I, I get it in a sense, but also you've you've got to you've got to be able to give equal attention to the players that deserve it when you're when you're looking at things like this and and that's where I I think you know. Um, Although this this whole thing's not about awards, it's about the team um, and and individual efforts coming together as a team. Um, when when you're putting lists together like this, you really got to dig down and and do a little more work. And that's where I think um, some of our players and the Kings just don't get the looks they should. Well, I mean, this is why I started the segment by saying sports are dumb <laughs> because at some point, you know, and I have this fight with people about the Academy Awards too. At some point it's really sort of pointless to rank things that are trying to accomplish different goals. And so you look at Connor McDavid and any other player in the league and you say, what is Connor McDavid responsible for? What is Connor McDavid being asked to do and how good is he at doing it? And last year he was being asked to drag the carcass of his stupid team (laughs) over 82 games and desperately try and hurl them into a playoff spot, and guess what? He couldn't do it. It's not his fault, and and he did an amazing job at it. So like, bravo to him. Whereas Sidney, uh, you know, what was Sidney Crosby's job? What was he trying to accomplish? Well, he had Phil Kessel and and Malkin and and Murray and Latang and all these other players. So he was just trying, you know, he was trying to get his team, you know, primed and ready to go for a for a defense of a you know of a repeat champion right like they were going for three in a row that's crazy and they both did really really good jobs of it but you look at nathan mckinnon you look at Anshe kopitar every shift every game every night they're doing different things so it's like right who's better i don't know neither of them they're both really really good at what they do um you know it's like the the fight i was having with my dad earlier is Groundhog Day how is like Groundhog Day set out to accomplish something? The movie now I'm all over the place, but the movie Groundhog Day set out to accomplish a goal, right? Cinematically, right? right. And it did it, and it did it perfectly, right? Like that is a pitch perfect hit every moment, do everything right, nothing wrong with that movie. That is, as far as I'm concerned, Groundhog Day is a perfect movie. Now, are you going to tell me that Groundhog Day? shouldn't be considered for an Academy Award because it's a comedy? 
right? Like Groundhog Day did did what it did way better than than Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, which is the movie I just watched. <laughs> um, <laughs> but nobody would ever utter them in the same breath for some stupid reason. I feel the same way about hockey players, where it's like Trevor Lewis does what Trevor Lewis does perfectly, right? But he's never going to get nominated for an award. He's never going to show up anywhere near one of these lists because he, you know, because he's not scoring ninety points a season or, or sixty points in sixty games like Matthews did. Um, well, and there's there's no award for a player like Trevor Lewis. There's, I mean, that's that's not a niche that anybody looks at. But, but every there should team be <laughs> every team needs it. Yeah, so. exactly. Uh, sports are dumb, lists are dumb, but uh, but it gives us something to talk about. <laughs> Absolutely. And look, especially when, in August, you want to know what I'm really going to get nana nana boo boo about huh. <laughs> is when the goalie list comes out. <laughs> oh yeah, because I guarantee you, Jonathan Quick won't be in the top five, and I guarantee you, it's going to piss me right off. You <laughs> won't be in the top five. I don't think so. I think Jonathan See, Quick is on a different podcast. We bet on this. Oh, I, we can bet on it. That's fine. Uh, but no, look, I think Jonathan Quick is is possibly the most underrated. I know this is going to sound insane, but possibly the most underrated. Uh, I won't say superstar, but underrated star in the league. Because I mean, I just I don't know of any other player. I mean, Dowdy suffered from it a little bit over the last year or two, but. It feels to me like people line up to prove how clever they are by showing you graph after graph after graph that will prove that Quick and Dowdy aren't as good as they are. And I oh, just, yeah. I just don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, like we said, you could skew any yeah. type of of stat or or uh, you know chart that shows. A different player depending on what you want to get out of it and and that's where yeah you you just don't get the attention on players like quick that you should i mean it's it's the weirdest thing right because there are some people who will sit there and say he's the greatest goalie hands down if i wanted to win one game and one game only i'd take jonathan quick but for every one of those people there's 10 it feels like who will line up and say nah, he's not elite his numbers are just average you know, look at his save percentage. Look at his—I uh, don't know what the other fancy goalie stats are off the top of my head, but you know, he's middle of the pack. You know, he's, he's overpaid. Like, like, there's people still writing articles about what a bad contract he has. Meanwhile, Carey Price, right? Everybody's hot goalie Jesus <laughs> in Montreal is about to start making ten million dollars a year. Um, so yeah, that list hasn't come out yet. I hope I'm wrong. I hope Jonathan Quick uh, is higher ranked. Not that it means anything, like you said. It's these aren't awards; they're just rankings. But and and I remember several, and I don't know if it was All Stars, but several interviews with players um, last year, and they said, "Who do you hate to go against most?" And and a lot of them said Jonathan Quick. Yeah, just because you just can't get a puck past the guy. It's a you you, you have to get some of these fluke goals, or you you've got to get some incredible passes to to get an opening where he he reads he reads the puck better than anyone else on the ice like he just knows where to be and how to position himself in the off chance of numerous other plays happening so someone that has a hockey sense like him and and the athleticism um which you don't see a lot of uh i i just don't know how you don't have him 
at least, and to be fair to the NHL, at least in your top three or four. Well, that's it's funny you mentioned the athleticism because oftentimes that's one of the things I'll hear as part of the criticism of him is that he relies too much on on his athleticism, right? That he's not fundamentally sound uh, the way some other goalies are. To which I just shrug and go, like, man, I don't care how he makes the bread. I just <laughs> I well, just, and in five I just care years, that it gets made. In five years, when you see the the whole um, the whole uh, goalie world shift into something like that where you're starting to see some more athletic uh, goalies coming, coming through the ranks. Uh, if, if the entire goalie world shifts to that more athletic goalie, then everybody's going to be talking differently in five years. So it, it really is, you know, with the game changing, who knows what the, what that next goalie is going to have to look like to, to keep up with the game and, and the skills that are coming out of some of these forwards. And well, they're all going to be Swedish or Finnish from what I can tell. I've, I've ranted about it before, but I'll just throw it in again. Now I, I, you know, you mentioned that they interview the players and the players all listed quick is one of the hardest to score on. I honestly think that the nominating for the postseason awards should be done by the players, right? Like I love that thought. I've listened to that before yeah. and I think you're spot on that. Yeah. Who who better than yeah. to talk about the players when they have to see them and, right. and they dread playing against that player? Exactly. Like I don't need to know what the journalist who lives in Boston thinks is the best defenseman in the league when he watches eighty two Bruins games and, you know, most of his exposure to other teams is when they're playing the Bruins. I'd way rather know who Andre Kopitar thinks is the best defenseman. Right. right. Or who Connor McDavid thinks is the best defenseman, right? Like the best players Ask them, and then and then fine. Let the journalists vote on. Uh, uh, but anyway, that's a like I said, I've had this rant before. Uh, <laughs> James, I think I'm going to wrap it up now. Unless you want to uh, touch on anything else before we go. No, just want to say uh, thanks to the fans for uh, being who you are. Always touching note to go out on. So for Mike Camito <laughs> and James Whitlock, my name's Jesse Cohen. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>